Hello and welcome to Taking Social Stock. This is episode 16. Show is hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Heather. And this week it is, well, we took a week off last week for Christmas and it's New Year's. Yeah, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, yes. So hopefully, you know, 2020 is going away. We're heading into 2021. Yeah. And with 2021, a question. Okay. What would someone need to pay you or what incentive would you need to relocate if your job, which they do allow you to work remote, let you work anywhere in the country? What would it take to get you to move to a more rural community? Think, oh. think like we're already in the Midwest, yeah. but even more Midwest. Yeah. Kansas, Arkansas, uh, Oklahoma. Non-metro Midwest. Less metro. Yes, least. less metro. Okay, so, ooh, two two paths I'm thinking of. One, I'd be kind of open. I'm more open to it now than I was, I think, even a year ago. There's appeal, and you know this. We've we, Well, of course you know this. We've talked about it. The idea of having land where we can foster some dogs and where our dogs can run more freely. So there's one that would be, that'd be pretty appealing. But to actually be like, hey, if somebody's put a timeline on it, you got three months. What would they have to do to get me to do that? It would be really appealing as if they were like, we'll pay off your student loans. <laughs> so money, how much money? do you think would incentivize you to move to a community that's or a city that's not necessarily on your list of places you would like to live? Yeah. I do think it would have to be a a significant chunk, a a few tens of thousands of dollars to pay off my student loans because there's risk in doing that. You do that, you have your job for now, but people turn over jobs. People don't tend to stay in jobs for 10 years anymore. I'd have to be a pretty good chunk of money paid off because I would also be thinking ahead of like, what if I'm not in this role three, four, five years from now? It's going to, it could potentially be harder to find a job in that more remote area and I'm still going to have bills to pay. Yep. So the article this week. Wait, wait, wait. What about you? What about me? What would it take? Well, my job's not actually remote. I'm only remote because of COVID. But yeah, the number one factor for me is what other jobs are available in that location if I'm not. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm not able to stay with my employer long term. So that would be the key to me is, you know, we we lived in my old hometown for a few years and my friends would love for me to move back. But the thing I tell them all the time is there's no jobs for me mm-hmm. there. You know, there's a handful of jobs for someone on my career path and in the town. Not enough, though, for me to real reliably expect to find the kind of career I would want in that town. So that would be a key is making sure there's enough jobs mm-hmm. and flexibility and it's a it's a big cost to move it you know, is, states. yeah it, it's, there's a lot of logistics to it and you know when you've lived in a house for a few years you accumulate a lot of junk so mm-hmm. it would take a lot of money and some guarantees i think but yeah I, I don't know i mean how accessible is the town to other major metros are they like a hub for other you know how many flights do they have in and out of that city yep. to places i would want to go those would be major factors and sure the amenities like what nature is nearby would be nice but there's nature nearby most cities within a couple hours so i don't think that's a big appeal so it'd really be jobs and access from the city oh yeah oh i hear that and when you brought that up the amenities something i wouldn't have thought of even probably a couple years ago until i read this article it's in missouri there are places in missouri where the closest 
true hospital is a good two hour drive. So even something like that, you'd have to kind of do some mapping to see what's around. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, you're right. There's a lot of factors that go into it. I think we, uh, we might look at it a little bit differently, but at the heart of it is what are the costs? What are the risks? Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff. Yeah. Just thinking about the hospital piece. Um, you know, I work in insurance and saw something recently where an employee was injured and they were taken to a hospital in their local community. But with the injuries they had, they weren't able to treat it there. So they had to airlift them to Chicago. Yep. There's a huge increase in cost. So obviously, if it's a workplace incident, it should be covered by your employer. But if it's a personal injury, you know, if you don't have health insurance, that flight to Chicago or flight to a major city is a huge Oh my expense. gosh, yeah. You know, just, well, even riding in ambulances, I can't imagine the flight costs. Yeah, air ambulances get very expensive. So yeah, I mean, just from that aspect, it's kind of scary since I see it all the time and see Ooh. the dollars associated with it. But getting into the article, so there's a lot of cities in the Midwest that are offering some kind of incentive to come and live and work there, especially during the pandemic where a lot of people are remote employees. Yeah. And more and more people will be remote. They call them laptop workers. One of the programs is literally called um, Remote. uh, Let's see. It's called Tulsa Remote. So the two that are highlighted in this article, and it's an NPR article from December, is Northwest Arkansas, realistically kind of around some of the Walmart operations. There's an nonprofit called or an incentive called the Northwest Arkansas. It's hosted by the Walton Foundation. And they will the pay, Walmart family. Yeah, the Walmart yeah. family. They will pay $10,000 to come and live and work in that community. And then Tulsa Remote is very similar, $10,000 to come and live in Tulsa. This money is not an upfront sum. You don't. They give you some upfront. They give you a stipend, and then they pay you the rest at the end of your first year. But that's only $10,000 total. And their goal with these programs is to bring in more professionals into these to these cities. Mm-hmm. Tulsa, for example, is, you know, it's in, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And college graduates tend to leave there and go to Texas or other cities. So they do have like kind of an exodus because it's not viewed as a tech hub or a business hub. Northwest Arkansas also. It's Arkansas, not a place that's on a lot of people's minds mm-hmm. unless you get hired to come work there. So they're trying to build up and grow these professional work communities. Can they be successful buying people? You know, based on us, $10,000 probably isn't enough. No, it's got to be. I think there are plenty of people where it's it's right conditions, right? I could absolutely see if we, especially maybe if we had not bought a house, because there is some rooting in when you buy a house and we have a lot of student debt, but say that we were 10 years younger. I'm just arbitrary numbers thrown out here. 10 years younger, no student debt, living in an apartment and being like, hey, we'll pay you to come check out this new city, this new area. We're in the middle of a pandemic. What else are you? Okay, cool. Why not? Right. You're going to pay me. I'm going to still make the same, assuming I'll still make the same amount of money. Um, That's a, a thing we should probably talk about at some point too. But yeah, I definitely see there's appeal to it. And $10,000, it isn't any, it's not an amount to laugh at. It's a nice, well-rounded number. I don't know how they landed on it, but I could see the appeal for the the right right place, right time, right condition. So the example they give in this article is a young woman who lives in San Francisco, I believe. And she talks about how she lives in an apartment with 
six other people. They have basically two bathrooms. So she's, well, four to six roommates, depending, you know, people come in and out. And she's paying over $1,000 a month, basically just have a bedroom in this apartment. Don't know where it's located or how nice it is. I'm assuming it's in the city so she can be close to everything that's going on in the Bay Area. But she works remote anyways. Mm -hmm. So being there in that apartment and being in San Francisco isn't necessary. So she relocated to Tulsa and it appealed to her because now she could have her own place. Doesn't have to have roommates. She, I think, is single, maybe has a dog, maybe got a dog when she moved, but no, you know, no kids, no spouse. So it's much easier to just get up and relocate. She's giving up like all of her friends and connections, and she's going to have to start over mm-hmm. in Tulsa. So to her, the cost equation was worth it. But you brought up a good point. Is her employer really going to say, okay, we're still going to pay you what you made in San Francisco when you moved to Tulsa? Because each of these programs, they advertise. Hey, the cost of living, if you were in California versus here, here's how much further your money goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that I'm I'm making an assumption here. I know like my workplace, they have that uh I don't know what it's what's it called, where it's it's cost of living adjustment mm-hmm. essentially. I think that's important for equity. So if here we are in the Midwest, if we were moving to the northeast or Bay Area or most cities in the U.S. outside of where the the Midwest, I would need to have more on my paycheck to be able to live a similar lifestyle that my paycheck brings me right now. And so flip-flopped, if I lived in the Bay Area and I was moving to where we are, then my paycheck would probably, the the dollar amount on it would look smaller if I moved from the Bay Area to the Midwest because it costs a lot less to live decently here than it does in that area. And I don't know what every company and organization's stance is on that. And I think that even at my workplace that has been, it's caused confusion at times because of the way people have heard it or maybe the way it's been explained I have to think that most places are going to struggle more because my workplace has tried to be clear with that. It just hasn't always hit home well. But I think workplaces are going to have to get a lot better and a lot more clear about that because a pandemic world has shown that a lot of people can work remote and we're not limited to offices in the way that arbitrarily I think a lot of people thought we were before. True. One thing I think of with this kind of situation, and specifically the girl in the article, she's living in the Bay Area, and if she relocates, maybe the employer says, okay, well, you were paying, being paid 120 in the Bay Area. You've relocated to Tulsa. Cost of living is half. We're going to pay you 60 mm-hmm. Probably then says, well, this wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, her cost of living is extremely high in the Bay, Bay Area. She's working remote. Would the employer say, oh, well, you moved, well, the cost of living is lower there. You know, maybe that 120 is similar to 100. Would they adjust her pay if she's still in the same geographic region and not think about it? Or would they say, well, yeah, you moved, it's cheaper. I I don't think when you're hiring a remote employee, you're thinking so much, oh, you live in, you know, this specific little area and this is the cost of living in that area. Yeah. 
you're thinking this is what we pay for that role. Mm -hmm. So it gets a little muddy, and especially Mm -hmm. now that more and more people are remote. Yeah, and I I work in a nonprofit, and I think the nonprofit space, she's in the tech space. Tech space has a lot more cheddar, a lot more dollars to work with than in general the nonprofit space. So my my guess is there are going to be some sectors who get a lot more kind of hardcore or concrete around that topic than others. I don't know if it's that they get hardcore concrete about it. I think it's have they thought it through? Mm. Because if you want, if you're working in the tech sector and you want a high paying job at one of the big companies, you're going to live in the Bay Area. You may start be considering Austin, which is becoming a big tech area. Mm-hmm. So there are certain areas you'll locate into. Because she had looked into Austin prior. Yeah. yeah. But if you lose that current job you have, because there is turnover in the tech industry and you want to be able to apply to other jobs, and it's going to be much more difficult when you're remote. And I think, you know, a lot of tech companies have remote employees, and they're very generous during the pandemic to let their people work remote. Mm-hmm. There is need to be able to get into the office. Having to book a flight the next day, like, that's not convenient. Mm-hmm. I don't know if these programs are really feasible just in the short term for someone like her, or if they can really be a long-term prospect until employers really change their mentality about fully adopting this remote world that we've had for the last nine months. Thinking from the the side of the employer, also thinking from the side of the people who are funding these endeavors, again, $10,000, if you're somebody in the right place, right time, right position, I know I said that before, but how that could be appealing is like $10,000. Cool. Yeah. Why not? I don't, think that $10,000, even if they they set it out for a certain amount of people, which we can talk about this too, it doesn't seem like it's going super successfully, these programs. No. But, you know, when these funders decided on this, they must have carved out a certain amount of funds to try this out. Essentially, it's a pilot in a way. Different places are trying it, but... I don't think that they're going to be hurting whether or not the programs are a success. If they are a success, great for them. If not, it's $10,000 a pop, which isn't all that much to them if they're coming from a foundation. They've they've weighed their cost, I'm assuming, on this. Sure. Yeah. So the Tulsa location or the Tulsa program, I think, has had like 400 people this year. And this is during a pandemic. They said their applications were up like threefold this yeah. year. So it was being very successful because more people were remote and wanting to relocate. The Northwest Arkansas, I think, was, I think they're in one of their first years. They had about 100. Okay. And their goal is to do that again next year. But yeah, that's that's not a ton of people. It's not enough to, like, Tulsa has 400,000 as their population. So 400 people is kind of a drop in the bucket. It's 0.1%. It's not going to change really anything. Yeah. And how transient are these people coming in? Are they only there for that first year and realize, okay, it was cool, but I miss being in the bay area well they got them they got them for the year which is why which is smart why they paced out the stipend and they have to stay a year to get the full ten thousand. i i would be very interested to see over time how many people did the, did this right like so for the 400 in tulsa to map it out where did they come from were there pockets were they coming from high cost of living areas did they retain their salary things that were probably not going to be able to get to know everything about, but did they retain their salary? Because if they retain their salary, they're also pouring in a lot more money into those communities, mm-hmm. even for a year, and bringing different skill sets, bringing 
even indirectly networks. So I don't see the communities themselves losing, even if a good chunk of the people head out after a year or two. I don't know. There is a flip side to that. So the money coming in, I think of it this way. If you're hiring tech workers, they're likely to shop online. Just most Mm -hmm. people do, but they're even more likely. So their dollars aren't necessarily going back into the community more than the landlord and the grocery store. Restaurants. And maybe a couple restaurants. Gyms, stuff like that. So here's the problem, though, is it's a fake increase in spending in the community. So this money is coming in because this person's here for a year. Mm-hmm. But then when they leave, now this, you know, these different vendors, they lost a customer. So it wasn't a sustainable customer. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's a one-time drop. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a continual that will grow the community's net spending. Yeah. So that, That's that, part, that part, I don't know how much it's actually benefiting because if that $10,000 was invested directly into other programs, say education or things like that to get more of the people who live in that community and have family and roots yeah. there to have higher paying jobs, you know, those are people more likely to stick. That could be a more effective use. I don't know that they're really bringing talent mm. into the community because they're only looking for people who have current jobs. Like I said, if they lose that job, they're probably leaving anyways. Yeah. They're not saying, hey, come here because we have all these great opportunities for you. They're saying, come here because your money is going to go further. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it through the, beyond the first year, <laughs> what it would mean for the community. Well, I will say the kind of funny thing to me is you think of both Northwest Arkansas and Tulsa, and they're also doing it like Topeka, Kansas, a couple other places in that area. They're targeting people who work in tech, people who are educated, who have jobs. That are they targeting tech people? Mostly because okay. they want remote professionals okay. who will come there. If you're targeting those people, you're typically targeting liberals mm-hmm. and not necessarily conservatives, and these are conservative communities. So I do find that kind of funny that they're targeting this workforce that's kind of antithetical to a lot of the beliefs in the communities they're coming to. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean there's going to be any issues mm-hmm. or like, you know, struggle, but it's just kind of funny to yeah, think she about She talks that. about this in the article uh, a little a little bit. Julissa is her name, the person they're focusing on, yeah. What does she talk about? She talks about how the understanding she's going into a community that has different belief systems or a lot of people have different belief sets than she does and her take on it now she's one person so you can't say this for everybody else but her take is she thinks for her it's important to engage with people who think differently than her that she believes that people have to cross lanes aisles whatever you want to to understand each other better Oh, I agree. And if you're in, I'm sure Silicon Valley and uh, San Francisco is kind of a echo chamber in a lot of ways. I don't think there's a lot of, there's dissenting political opinions and everything, but I don't think it's as divisive as it is like in the Midwest and battleground states, right? They swing very heavy one way politically thinking over mm-hmm. there. But yeah, that's that's it on that topic, I think, uh, unless you had anything to add. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they're going to be successful? The no, okay. I, I don't think long-term they're successful. The way they get people to move to these communities and stay is they have to attract, and they talk about this this or another article, 
about this is an alternative to paying companies to come and put offices there. Like, you know, instead of trying to get Amazon to put a warehouse in Tulsa, this is an alternative way to try to boost the city. I think people go where their jobs. That's been the case forever in our country. Steel cities were once big, thriving places because they had the jobs. Yeah. When the steel mills close, the job the people leave eventually. I don't I don't think you can buy people to live into a community. I think you have to create a reason for them to want to live in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there will be any negative consequences or what do you see as being potential negative consequences? I think the only negative is say these programs were moderately successful and if they're directing people to live in certain areas of the city or recommending certain areas, you're going to see businesses kind of pop up a little bit there. You're going to see businesses boom a little bit because you have people spending. I think if if you have like, um, we have a couple little restaurants near us. Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden the people who lived in this neighborhood started leaving, those business those restaurants would start to struggle because they really rely on the local community. Yep. And that's where that's the only harm I could see coming is if someone's someone's restaurant will just not get the foot traffic they expected. Um, if you start a business and this program ends, that might hurt you. But I don't think there's any long lasting consequence at the size they're operating. It's yeah. only if they get really big that it starts to impact anything on a economic or even a social level. Yeah. I do think depending on the if they would be successful or if they do direct people to hone in on certain neighborhoods, the flip side of that could be gentrification mm-hmm. where people come in that would be, have a negative impact on communities. And so I'm I'm more interested now as we talk through this topic in learning more about how did this somewhere somewhere someplace sometime this program started and other communities are modeling after it because mm-hmm. it's 10,000 10,000 right and there's there are these different funders in these different cities so i'm really curious and i am going to look into that to see how did this start why did people think it was a good idea what are some promising things that seem to be arising and what are some potential negative consequences that are so I think there could be more to talk about in the future around this. Yep. Okay, well, that's going to do it for the topic. I do want to throw one thing out there. So New Year, starting next tomorrow, we will start a series. This is my goal. I haven't really talked to you about it, (laughs) of going over some basic finance tips. But we're just going to cover some real basic finance tools, provide some tips and resources that we've used or we like, uh, to help you out if that is one of your goals for 2020 is to like 2021. us. Or 2021, yeah. For us, we still have student debt mentioned multiple times in this episode. We're working through that. And, you know, you have to set goals. I think if you want to get someplace, we kind of monitor where we're getting on our student debts. It's a good thing and a good time to go ahead and just do a quick checkup. And if there's any resources we can provide, we'd be glad to do so. Yeah, I think that'll be good because you handle most, uh, you handle the finances in our household. And there have been times where you're talking about like investments or something like, oh, I want to look through that with you. I want to learn more about it. And then I forget or I don't. And so I think this will be great for me as well, because I, this is something that I want to track for myself more in the coming year as well. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at takingsocialstock at gmail.com. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Otherwise, we'll see you next year. (laughs) 